Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. Friday, August 29th, 2014, dawned like most any other day during rainy season in the Kumbungu district of northern region of Ghana. Men rose early and prepared to go to their farms to harvest their maize crops. Women sent their children to school, then headed to the forest to harvest wild nuts and gather firewood. Even though the rains had been unusually heavy this year, there seemed to be nothing unusual about this day. But hundreds of miles north, an event was about to take place that would dramatically affect the residents of the Kumbungu district. The water level at the Bagri Dam had reached dangerously high levels due to the torrential rains. And so, the government of the nation of Burkina Faso had announced that on August 29th, they would conduct spillage to release water from the dam into the White Volta River. Now, every possible precaution was taken to minimize the damage of the spillage and to repair those affected by the impending flooding. Burkina Faso announced the spillage days in advance. The government of Ghana duly notified all affected communities of the likely flooding that would occur and urged residents to relocate. Radio and TV broadcasts were made, notices were sent out, and chiefs and local officials were enlisted in warning residents. There was every reason to believe that those affected by the spillage would take heed to the warnings. For one thing, the same thing had happened in 2007, and people had plenty of reason to remember what had happened then. That year, the spillage had flooded the three northern regions of Ghana. 50 people died, 35,000 homes, hundreds of farms, and 1,500 kilometers of roads were destroyed. Not only that, but the spillage that was about to take place was an annual event, indeed, no one should have been unprepared for the spillage and its consequences. Yet, on Friday, August 29th, thousands of unconcerned citizens of Kumbungu went about their daily life without any thought or effort to prepare for the coming flood. And when the Bagri Dam was spilled, a massive wave of water rushed into the northern region. Homes were flooded, farms were destroyed, and entire villages were cut off from the outside world. When it was over, 10 people had died. Sitting far away in the comfort of our homes, we may be tempted to wonder, why didn't the people in Kumbunga heed the warnings? Why didn't they do something to prepare for the coming flood? Yet before we judge their failure to act, we have to ask ourselves a question as well. How often have we ignored the clear warnings in the Bible about the certain end of our lives here on earth? How often have we gone about our daily lives as if life on earth will last forever, failing to heed the signs that this life is only temporary? For you see, the Bible makes it very clear to all of us that life on earth won't last forever. God repeatedly tells us that each and every one of us will pass from this life into eternity. And not only will we as individuals leave this earth, but one day even the earth itself will be destroyed. Fortunately for all of us, we don't need to be in the dark about our future. God has given us a clear picture about what lies ahead. And not only that, he's also given us steps that we can take so that we can survive the end of the world. That's what we're going to discover today in our sermon titled, Ready. 
But before we begin, let's bow our heads and pray together. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you for gathering us together in your presence for your word. We ask you to open our hearts and enlighten our minds today. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that will come and bring us light and life and love, the power to give us grace to heed your warnings and prepare for eternity. We thank you by faith that at the end of today, your name will be glorified and our lives will be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and say after me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth For Today. It's great to have you here with me as I begin our new sermon series entitled, How to Survive the End of the World. Now, for a lot of people, when they hear about the end of the world, their first reaction is fear. A lot of people think of the end of the world and imagine earthquakes and disease and disasters. And it's true that all of these events and even worse things will take place at the end of the world. But the fact is, the Bible talks about the end of the world not to frighten us, but to prepare us. Jesus gives us clear information and clear direction about the end time events so that we can get ready. Everybody say ready. And the good news is when we heed his words, we can survive the end of the world. In fact, when we follow the teachings of Jesus, the end of the world actually becomes a launching pad for an even greater and better world to come. So let's begin to take the steps today that will help us survive the end of the world. And to help us learn the truth for today, I've prepared sermon notes. You can download the notes free of charge from my website, my Facebook page, and my YouTube channel. I encourage you to take advantage of this free resource so that you can dig deeper into God's word. The sermon notes also come with a daily devotional that you can use to apply God's word to your life every day. So I invite you to take out your sermon notes now. Follow along with me as we learn how to survive the end of the world. There at the top of your notes, you'll find our scripture text for today, taken from the words of Jesus found in Matthew 24, 37 to 39. Our text is on your notes. It's on the screen in front of you. But the word of God has the most impact when it's in our hearts and on our lips. So I'm going to ask you to read these three verses out loud together with me. Are you ready? Here we go. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of of the Son of Man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your hearts in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Now, it might surprise you to hear me begin a sermon on the end times by reading some verses about Noah. After all, this series is on the future events, and Noah lived in the past. We're supposed to be looking at what lies ahead, not looking at what happened long ago. But I believe that Noah is a great teacher on how to survive the end of the world because Noah is history's greatest survivor. 
Noah and his family survived the great flood when everyone else in the world did not. And though we will never face the same type of physical flood that Noah faced, nevertheless, we live in a day and a time that is very similar to Noah's day and age. In fact, in our scripture text for today, Jesus said that the end times would be just like the days in which Noah lived. And the fact is, the scenery may have changed but the challenges are the same. Noah faced the same flood of evil and the same attitudes of sin that we face today. And when we study the people in Noah's day, we will discover the three steps to survive the end times. So here's your first step today. To survive the end times, you have to pursue God's priorities. See, here's the first truth we learn from today's scripture text. In Noah's day, People were unconcerned about their souls. They failed to pursue God's priorities. That's why Matthew 24, 38 says this, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now let me make it clear. I'm not preaching against eating and drinking or marrying and giving in marriage. After all, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. If you're a young man preparing to get married, don't panic. You can still marry. There's nothing wrong with observing the daily routines of work, family, friends, and activities. There's nothing wrong with watching football, swimming at the beach, or going to the movies. But the problem is, when this life is all you're focused on, then you are in danger of losing your soul. To be consumed in this life alone and to neglect the eternal is to err from the truth. And that's what happened to the people in Noah's day. And it's what is happening to people today. While there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, the people in Noah's time gave no thought to preparing for the life to come. They were only focused on the things of this world. And even though Noah warned them about the coming judgment, they ignored his warnings and focused on this life alone. And we all face the same temptation today. Even though we know that the Bible says this life will end, we act as if we will go on forever. We need to heed the example of Noah's generation and realize that though we are in the world, we are not of the world. We possess material goods, but those material things must not possess us. We experience life on this earth, but we must maintain our focus on the life to come. That's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 32. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. In other words, Paul is teaching about the end of the world. He's reminding us that eternity is ahead and it's coming soon. And then he goes on to say, so those who weep or who rejoice, or who buy things, should not be absorbed by their weeping, or their joy, or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. In other words, in light of the short duration of this life on earth, you need to prioritize things of eternal life. You can possess material things, but don't let them possess you. You can experience life, but don't let the situations in this life consume you and your attention. For when you understand the brevity of life, you will realize the need to be in the world, but not of the world. That's the lesson we can learn from the tragic but true story of DJ Sehor. 
DJ Sarah was one of the top DJs here in Ghana. In fact, in 2019, he won the Ghana DJ Awards held at the Accra International Conference Center. But less than two days after winning the Ghana DJ Award, DJ Sehor was involved in a ghastly motor accident on the Medina Adenta Road. He died at around 2 a.m., just a little over 24 hours after reaching the pinnacle of success in his career. What good is it to climb to the top of the ladder only to realize that the ladder you climbed is leaning against the wrong building? This life will pass away, but your soul will live forever. This life is simply a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. All your efforts, all your accomplishments, all your possessions in this life will one day come to an end, for this world is not your final destination. And your focus in life must not be on the things or the experiences on earth. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. To survive the end times, you have to keep the main thing the main thing, you have to remain focused on eternity. There's a grave danger for us as Christians today. We're getting caught up in this life and neglecting the life to come. We're cold in our spiritual life. We've left our first love and begun chasing the things of this world. You can hear it in our prayers. So many of our prayers are focused on success and self and breakthroughs. Almost none of our prayers are focused on holiness and sanctification, commitment and fervency of spirit. We have conferences and programs and prayer meetings on removing the barriers, getting our breakthrough, and blasting through bondage. But how many meetings are held in the church today to increase holiness? Why don't we have conferences that focus on living with less and helping the poor? Where are the prayer meetings where people weep over sin and cry out for revival? And even though we maintain a form of spirituality, we're focused on the carnal. Our prayers, our preaching, our prophesying is all about the here and now. And we've perverted Christianity into something that Jesus and the apostles would not recognize. Some of us fly first class to Dubai and spend two weeks in a five-star hotel. We eat at expensive restaurants and shop in big shopping malls. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're blessed and prospering. Next time you go to Dubai, invite me to go along with you. But when it comes to offerings, you consider it a sacrifice to give. Why is it a sacrifice to give $10 to God, but it's not a sacrifice to pay $10,000 for an air ticket to go on holiday? If you're generous to yourself, but stingy towards God, you are not pursuing God's priorities. Why is it a sacrifice to spend one day fasting and praying at church, but you don't think it's a sacrifice to drive to your village, spend a whole day at a funeral with people you don't even like, and then fight traffic for hours to come back home? Some of you will drive an hour to get to a party. You battle traffic and you make the effort, but when it comes to prayer meeting, you say, oh, the traffic, I can't make it. There's nothing wrong with going to a party. Next time you go, bring me along. But how can you attend parties every week, but you have not even attended one single prayer meeting at church this year? Some of you will sit on the phone for an hour talking to your girlfriend about hair and makeup and fashion. That's great. Nothing wrong with hair and makeup and fashion. Please keep it up. 
But if you spend an hour on the phone talking to your girlfriend, but you never even once share the gospel with your neighbor, you are not pursuing God's priorities. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. When we disengage our daily routine from God, then we inevitably center life around self. And a self-centered life leads to all kinds of evil. That's what happened in Noah's day. The people started out consumed with themselves, and then they ended up evil. Listen to Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And that's what's happening today. We become so self-centered and so focused on getting ahead in this life that it's led to all kinds of evil and sin. If you think Noah's generation was bad, you have to realize that we are just as evil today. We are just as sinful as the people in Noah's day. The only difference is that we've just learned to whitewash the exterior to make it look good. We painted over our sinful hearts to pretend to others and to ourselves that we are good. This is what the Bible tells tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, in the end times, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And friends, do you hear what God is telling us? Paul is describing the times in which we live. These are very difficult times. It's not because the economy is bad. It's not because of COVID. In fact, modern technology has made life easier today than ever. And modern medicine has increased our lifespan. It's not because of diseases or the environment. It's not because we have more corrupt leaders than other times. We live in difficult times because people are given to sin. And the worst thing about the end times will be the evil of mankind. It's not the earthquakes and the diseases and the famine. It's that all around the world, people will be greedy and selfish and ungrateful, unloving and unforgiving, cruel and hateful. They will do unimaginable things. And the worst thing of all is that they will act religious when they do it. We cheat and steal and lie. And then we come to church to give a thanksgiving offering for our blessings. We pay tithe money we got from cheating people. And we think nothing of going to a prophet for him to bless our evil activities. I think I'll never forget the testimony of a young lady in our church named Michelle. Michelle was from South Africa. And before she moved to Ghana, she was a drug addict. God delivered her. And when she was at Agape here in Ghana, she was free. But I remember her telling me that you could buy all kinds of drugs in South Africa. And you could buy them at any time, day or night. There was only one time of the week you could not buy drugs in Johannesburg. And that was Sunday morning. Michelle told me, you can't buy cocaine on Sunday morning in Johannesburg because all the cocaine dealers are at church. But mark my words. 
Your whitewashed religion does not fool God. He sees right past the thin layer of church activity and looks underneath to the immoral, hate-filled, greedy, self-obsessed, rebellious heart and mind. And he commands you in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. In other words, pursue God's priorities. He goes on to say, look up and be alert to what is going on around. Christ, that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. The first step to survive the end times is to pursue God's priorities. And when you do that, the next step is to start seeing things from God's perspective. See things from heaven's view. And that's our second step to survive the end of the world. To survive the end times, you have to possess God's perspective. That's the second truth we learn from today's scripture text. In Noah's day, people were unaware of the judgment. They failed to see things from God's perspective. Listen to Matthew 24, 39. It says this about the people in Noah's day. They knew nothing about what would happen. In other words, the people in Noah's day did not see things from God's perspective. In fact, they were unaware of God, unaware of eternity, and unaware of judgment. Why is it that they knew nothing about what would happen? After all, Noah was preaching to them for years. They could see him preparing, building the ark. Why didn't they know? They didn't know. They were unaware because they were unconcerned. Sin had dulled their hearts. First, they were unconcerned, lukewarm, compromising, hard-hearted, and neglectful of salvation. And that unconcern led them to be unaware. It led to be spiritually dull, deceived, and to possessing thoughts that were centered on self and this life and not eternal life. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And you cannot survive the coming storm if you're unaware that it's coming. It may be unpleasant, but we are better off to know the truth and get ready than to believe a lie and be caught unprepared. So let's take a minute and honestly talk about what's coming. First of all, death is coming. I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom, but I can confidently predict everyone watching and listening to me today will die at some time unless Jesus comes again. Hebrews 9.27 tells us everyone must die once, then they are judged. Death is surely coming to all of us. Can you really be unaware of that? If you're 32 years of age and above, you are over halfway through life on this earth. Life expectancy here in Ghana is about 63 years. Some of us are almost done. Did you really think you won't die one day? One day death was chasing a woman when death stumbled and fell into a pit. Death was stuck in the pit till Kwame came along. Death asked Kwame to help him out, but Kwame would only agree to do so if death made two promises to him. Kwame insisted that, first of all, death could not come for him anytime soon. Secondly, Kwame insisted that death must notify him in advance before coming to take him. Well, death was stuck in the pit and needed Kwame's help to get out, so he agreed to these two conditions, and Kwame helped him out of the pit. And so it was that Kwame went on living for a long time. But then one day, late in life, death came unexpectedly to Kwame and told him it was time to go. 
Kwame shouted, you can't take me now. You didn't tell me in advance what, that you were coming. We had an agreement, and you have to notify me in advance before you come to take me. Then Death said, oh, Kwame, but I did tell you. I did notify you that I was coming. I've sent you messages for years. Every day you look in the mirror, see the wrinkles, notice the gray hair, see how you tilt your ear towards me as I speak and you struggle to hear, see the limp in your walk and the stoop in your back. All these signs warned you. I told you over and over for years I was coming. Because death comes to all of us and then the judgment. That's why 2 Thessalonians 1, 79 says, He will do this when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven with his mighty angels, with a flaming fire, to punish those who reject God and who do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and from his glorious might. I know it's not pleasant to hear, but when you have God's perspective, it will shape the way you live now. When you see what God sees, it will affect what you do. Death is certain. Judgment is certain. And when you know this, you will live differently. 109 years ago, the great ship Titanic set sail from England to the U.S. They said the Titanic was an unsinkable ship. But just a few days into her maiden voyage... She struck an iceberg and quickly sank to the ocean floor. 1,500 people aboard died, over half the people on the boat. When news reached New York that the Titanic had sunk and many lives were lost, the families of those on board waited anxiously to hear news of their loved ones. It took several days for a complete list of survivors to be compiled. The news came in gradually and as names of the passengers who survived and those who perished were received, there were two lists posted. A list was posted on one side that said, saved, those rescued, and a list posted on the other side of the hall that said, lost, those confirmed dead. There were many different people on the ship. Some were wealthy businessmen sailing in first class. But there was no list for wealthy businessmen, only two lists, saved and lost. There was a famous actor on the boat and a popular singer, but there was no list for actors and singers, only two lists saved and lost. There was a politician on the ship, and there were pastors on the Titanic. There were students and children, applicants and workers, but only two lists were posted in New York, saved and lost. And that's how it will be on the day of judgment when Jesus comes again. No matter your position in this life, no matter your wealth or your occupation or your popularity, there are only two lists, saved and lost. When Jesus comes again, he comes to separate the saved from the lost. And people see you from many different perspectives, but God sees you from one perspective, saved or lost. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 32. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. These things are certain. First death, then judgment, then separation. But that's not all. The good news is that after these things, those who follow Jesus Christ receive salvation. Those who love the Lord will enter heaven and receive reward. Salvation waits for those who are waiting for Jesus. 
That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.28. Christ will come a second time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In other words, if you are aware, if you are watching and waiting, then you will see Christ. If you possess his perspective, you will experience his salvation. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you in order to survive the end times. If God is not finished working, then we must not be finished waiting. That's why you need God's perspective to survive the end of the world. His perspective teaches us that it's not over. Things are not finished. This is not the end. We will endure the difficult times of the end when we share his perspective and realize that this is not the end. The trials of the end times will give way to the victory at the end. The difficulties of this life will yield to the joy of the life to come. So what do we do to survive the end times? While God is working, we are waiting. And while we are waiting, we are preparing. That's why 2 Peter 3, 13 to 14 tells us, we are looking forward to God's promise of new heavens and a new earth where there will be only goodness. Dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen and for him to come, try hard to live without sinning and be at peace with everyone so that he will be pleased with you when he returns. While we are waiting, we purify our lives. While we are waiting for the new heaven, we're living for Christ. While we wait for the coming of Christ, we are preparing ourselves. And that brings us to the third step to survive the end of the world. To survive the end times, you have to prepare with God's purity. That's the third truth we learned from today's scripture text. In Noah's day, people were unprepared for the end. Matthew 24, 39 says, the flood came and took them all away. So first, the people were unconcerned. That led them to be unaware. And being unconcerned and unaware led the people to be unprepared. The people made no plans for the coming judgment. Noah preached to them, but they took no action. Only Noah was prepared. He built the ark. It took a long time. He kept at it, even when there was no visible reason. There were no clouds in the sky. No rain was falling. The rain didn't start coming until after Noah was in the ark and the door was shut. His life models preparation. He was prepared for the storm. He had a plan from God and he followed it. He wasn't a day late. When the rains and the flood came, he was dry inside. It took time. He faced persecution, but Noah lived prepared. That's why Jesus tells us in Luke 21, 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So let me ask you a question today. How are you preparing to meet God at the end of your life. Whether Jesus comes to earth in your lifetime or whether you die first before he comes to earth, we are all going to face God one day. On that day, you will stand alone before God and you will give an account for your life, your decisions and your actions. And God calls you today to prepare for that day by preparing yourself. Many years ago, a man bribed his way into the orchestra of the emperor of China even though he could not play a single note on any instrument. Whenever the group practiced or performed, he would hold his flute against his lips, pretending to play, but never making a sound. 
he received a modest salary, enjoyed a comfortable living. Then one day, the emperor requested a solo from every musician in the orchestra. The flutist got nervous. There wasn't enough time to learn how to play the instrument. He pretended to be sick, but the royal physician wasn't fooled. On the day of his solo performance, when this imposter had to stand before the emperor, he drank poison and killed himself. The explanation of his suicide led to a phrase that found its way into the English language. He refused to face the music. Today, you can pretend to be part of God's orchestra by just blending in with the crowd and going through the motions. No one notices here because you say the right things, you go to the right places, and you hang out with the right people. And you can enjoy the comfort of being accepted by the crowd of your choice, but there will come a day when you must face the music. One day you will be separated from everything, and God in his mercy has given you a chance now to prepare yourself. You're watching today not by accident, but by the grace of God. You may be like some who think, well, I've been hearing about the end times all my life, but nothing's changed. The earth is still here. Or you may be like those who say, everything is evolving. The world will keep going. The Bible tells us people will have that view in the end. Listen to 2 Peter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The Bible makes it clear in these last days, people will think his delay means he won't come or that this is not the end. And that's how it was in Noah's day. They misunderstood the mercy of God. But the mercy of God is giving you a chance to repent and prepare. And since this life will soon pass away, and you will certainly face God, you ought to live a holy life. Maybe you're watching today, and you're relaxed. You think, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I don't need to do anything to get ready. But friend, God is calling you today to get ready. He's calling you to purify your life. So let me ask you a question. Are you living by design, or are you living by default? Because we're all going to end up somewhere at the end of this life. You might as well end up somewhere on purpose. And people who survive the storm and succeed in life are those living by design. They aren't blown around by every urgent demand. They are prepared. They plan ahead. They aim for a goal and make it. Living by design means you're intentional. You're moving forward step by step to prepare for death, for judgment, and for standing before the Lord. For the end times will surely be full of storms. There will be great turmoil and only those who are focused on Jesus will survive. You can prepare for the storms ahead. You can get ready for the end. You can be fully prepared to meet your maker and to stand before the judgment throne. You have all that you need today to take the steps to prepare for eternity. You have all that you need to prepare for judgment. 
In fact, if you have God's priorities, you will prepare. If you have God's perspective, you will get ready. You will get rid of the sin and purify your life. That's why 1 John 3, 2-3 tells us, When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All, somebody say all, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And if you believe in the end of the world, you'll purify yourself. If you believe that this life on earth won't last forever, you will prepare with God's purity. But the fact is anyone can survive the end of the world. You can survive. And you can even let the end of the world be a launching pad for greater things. But you have to pursue God's priorities. Don't be consumed in this life. You have to possess God's perspective. See that this life is a vapor. The most important work is not your daily job, but preparing for eternity. God is still working, so we must keep waiting. And in the waiting, we prepare. And you have to prepare with God's purity. Be intentional about your decisions. Dedicate your life to Christ anew and afresh. That's how you become ready. Let me pray for you. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you today for the warning of your word. You want us, Lord, to be concerned about the things of eternity. You want us to be concerned about our souls. So we pray today, Lord, that you'll strip away the concerns and the worries about this life and you'll give us a godly desire to chase and pursue your priorities. Lord, give us your perspective. Open our eyes to see that this life is a vapor and everything we're pursuing will one day be gone. Lord, give us your perspective that we will realize we must prepare Prepare ourselves in purity so that we can stand before you. I'm asking for revival to begin in the hearts and lives of everyone listening and watching. I'm asking, God, that you stir us, return us to our first love, shake us, oh God, help us to get rid of the sin, purify our hearts and lives, help us to get ready, for we know for a fact death will come to everyone. We know for a fact this life will soon end. We know that judgment is coming. We know that we must stand before you to give account. So Lord, help us to prepare. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to get ready. I pray you'll put your finger on every particular sin, every lust, every adultery, every fornication, every lying, every stealing, every cheating, every gossip, every evil work in our hearts and minds. Put your finger on it and convict us today till we cry out to you for deliverance, for mercy, and for cleansing. I pray for purity to sweep through the people that truly love you, that your name will be glorified, and we will be ready for your return. I thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Avon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.